The message I, I have tonight that I don't want to uh, make it seem harsh. And I guess if you take it as being harsh, you ought to talk to me about it. Because it's not meant to be harsh. I actually gave it a title that says, What Does Your Fruit Taste Like? If you remember, we've, we've been doing a lot of discussion on eating from the tree of life, which is Jesus, and the tree of good and evil, which is no part of that tree is good. And eating of the fruit of it. And what you eat of, what seed you take in, you develop a fruit, just like a, a fruit tree does. It has the, the main part and it has the branches and out of the branches comes the fruit. A peach tree does not strain to push peaches out on its limbs. It just goes there because of what has come up inside. And a lot, uh, we are the same way. What comes out of us is just what we have taken in and what just comes up and comes out and is displayed. And sometimes it's not really good. So that's what I'm asking you about. Does your fruit taste good? Is it sweet? Or is it bitter? Now in, uh, in Galatians 5, it, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm just going to list off the, the fruit you don't want. And in Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit you don't want is sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, orgies, fractions, envies, and drunkenness. I'm sure all of you would say, that's not me. I don't show any of that fruit. But Paul ends it with three words, and the like. We all display fruit from time to time that is not godly. We don't like it, but sometimes it just it, it comes out of us. I know in my life, I'd ask God over and over again, where did that come from? And he's shown me just about everything and where it comes from. I know where it comes from, but it doesn't mean I've stopped bearing the fruit of all my understandings. And Paul says what we want to do is we want to show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And to an extent, a lot of us show that on a regular basis. But we don't show it all the time. We have areas in our lives where we have taken in and eaten from the tree of good and evil. And we have deceived ourselves in many ways thinking that if we eat enough good, we can overcome the evil. It does not work that way. If you eat from that tree, you will have evil. If you remember... I talked about one is self-righteousness and the other one is debauchery. Which one do you think is pleasing to the Lord? The only thing that's pleasing to him is his son and the sacrifice he made. You know, fruit is a national outcropping and an outpouring of what you are. What you, are. you know, if it, if it tastes bitter, so then what are you eating? I found a couple of proverbs that I've, I found 
pretty interesting. Let's turn to those first. Proverbs 27.7. These are some of those uh, things that make you go, oh, how about that? wonder what that one really talks about. Proverbs 27.7 says, He who is full loathes hunting, but to the hungry even what is bitter tastes sweet. In our, in our natural lives, what this is saying is if, if, we are, if we are full, if we are satisfied and we are content and we are full, if we have something sweet, it still doesn't matter. It, it, it won't satisfy us. But it says if you're hungry, if, if you're striving for something, and you want to fill something in your life, you may eat something that is bitter and it will taste good to you. And I'm talking about actions in your life. From the seeds that you, you, you've eaten and the things that have happened in your life, you have actions that seem perfectly natural to you, but in reality they're bitter. You shouldn't be eating those things. Proverbs 14.10 And I found this real interesting. It says, Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. See, in your heart, in the heart of your heart, you know your bitterness. You may not want to talk about it, you may not want to be confronted about it, but you know that it's there. But it says you know your bitterness. You know when you strike out against your spouse or children or children to parents or co-worker or whatever. You know what it is. And you walk away and you sort of justify it in your own mind, but you know it tastes bitter. It comes down to be and the like. It's one of those things that's and the like in Galatians 5. It's not joy, peace. Because when, it, when you taste something bitter, it's like, oh, man, what was that? And you've, you've done that every once in a while. You'll, you'll bite into something and it totally surprises you. And it's bitterness. But Proverbs says you know where that comes from. Hebrews 12.15. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Well, how do you fight bitterness? You fight bitterness by the grace of God. But see, as in the Proverbs, it says sometimes that bitterness tastes sweet. You, en you enjoy your bitterness towards other people. For whatever reason, it doesn't seem logical. But sometimes you enjoy that bitterness towards other people. And it's the grace of God that saves you from that bitterness. And the trouble is, when you act bitter, it, it doesn't only affect just you. It affects your whole family. It affects the people around you, your co-workers. You've all seen somebody who's bitter and wants to have their own way and just wants to argue and is just plain mean. They know it. You know it. But it's only the grace of God that can help them from that. It's really funny, you know, we, uh, we talk about people wanting their own way and their own thing. I think all of you know we have four Yorkies in our house. 
the feeding process has become quite a, a chore. The, the older dog, Hobbs, has a special food he has to eat. The mother, Lily, has a special food she has to eat. The two puppies have puppy food they have to eat, and they can't switch around. They all have their own bowls. They have to eat in their own place. Do you think the dogs want to eat their own bowls and their own food? No. They hover around poor Hobbs. And if he walks away from his dish, boom, in on it. But they won't eat theirs. Unless my wife hand feeds them. So the dogs go hungry while I'm there. But see, we're very much the same way. We see something somebody else has, and ours is the best thing for us. What God has prepared for us is the best thing for us, and we ignore it. We want what somebody else has. And when we can't get it, we grow bitter. It shows up in our dogs as a dog fight, or a growl, or a lip lifted. People do the same thing. They growl and they lift their lips at each other and speak evil of each other. They know they're bitter. See, the problem of eating from that fruit, continually eating of that fruit, you're going to continually produce that fruit. Each, in God's creation, each seed appropriates the same thing. A rabbit makes a rabbit. A cow makes a cow. A peach tree makes a peach tree. You don't plant a peach tree and get cherries on it. So if you're, if you're, the seed that you're eating produces the same thing over and over again. And it's the grace of God that saves you from that. There's always been conflict between the two trees, between both seeds, Cain and Abel. Cain produced from the earth by his own hands, by his own work. It looked good. I remember why was you know God angry I, when I first became a Christian? Why was God angry with Cain? He did a good job. He produced fruit. What did his brother do? He just went out and killed an animal and offered that to the Lord. Cain's was his own self-righteousness. That was his fruit. He was, he was the natural man. Abel was the spiritual man. There's always been that battle. And until the very end, there will always be that battle. And I challenge you to look at the world today and look at what people are saying is the right thing to do. This is our plan. This is the right thing to do. And it's that same argument. And you start throwing spiritual things in there, and, I mean, everybody thinks you're a loon. But that's okay. They will always think you're a loon when you throw the spiritual things in there. Because the natural man does not understand spiritual things. Human goodness. I'm a good man. I haven't killed. I only, well, I only did a few things. But I'm a good man. You've heard that said. But human goodness is a front to the cross. The cross 
where the blood was shed is the only way for goodness. It is not for man's own actions. Man tries to think, if I can do more good, I'll overcome the evil. He has the ledger. He's keeping track. Today I've done ten things good, and I've done five things bad. I've got five points up to me. Well, you know, I did some bad things. If I take a big check and give it to the church, if I do repentance, I can make myself good again. You know how long the church is still and still living with that? I remember uh, 25 years ago when I had a youth group, I was always told them, I said, you know, only way across the if the only way across the Grand Canyon was the cross of Christ and, and trusting in Him, no matter how good you did, you might be able to run and, and jump five feet out, ten feet out, a hundred feet out. You're going to end up in the bottom. Your own goodness will get you nowhere. You were converted in your mind and not in your heart. I don't think anybody here is, is that way. But there's a lot of churches with a lot of Christians where that is the problem. They have converted themselves in their mind, but their hearts have never been tough. They think they're good. I've done good. I was an elder. I was a bishop. I was a pastor. Goodness is an affront to the cross, the sacrifice. So if you're converted in your mind and, and not your heart, which tree are you eating from? Which tree are you eating from? Where is that coming out of? Not necessarily bitterness, but not living the way Christ wanted you to live. Maturity is not striving to please Christ, but abiding in, in Christ. See, Christ changes the man, and he changes the world. Christ changes the man and he changes the world. But the righteous, righteous man eating from the tree of good and evil, the tree of knowledge, he changes the world to try to change man. It will not work. The heart has to change. That's why so many times, you know, people try to litigate, make laws to, to support or not support morality. It'll never work. The man's heart has to change. You don't change the law. So, we see in ourselves that we have this, this problem. And I know we all have problems from not necessarily fruit we've eaten, but fruit that has been shoved down our throats. That sometimes happens. And we become accustomed to it and we learn to like it. But how do we change that? What, what do we do to change? And I guess that's the whole point of what I wanted to talk to you about. Not necessarily bitterness, but anything in your life. You remember we talk about repent. It means just turn and go back and go the other way doesn't mean give alms. It doesn't mean give money to the church. It just means change your mind. I want to show you something that came up in, as I was reading through this, and I, and I, 
I found it fascinating. You don't have to go there, but it's Exodus 12, 1. And it's when the... Oh, let's, yeah, let's go there. Exodus 12, 1. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month. The first month of your year. Now understand what he just said. I'm changing everything. I'm starting everything out new. This is going to be your first month. This is going to be your first year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people who there are. You are to determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old male, year males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day. Okay, let's stop there. We're at the 10th day. Jewish law says you bring the lamb into your house on the 10th day, and you go to the 14th day. So you have this little lamb in your house for four days. And what you're supposed to do is examine this little lamb and look at it and look for blemishes. Can you imagine what Anthony would be like if he brought a little lamb into his house? A cute, I mean, it smells good, Anthony. A good, sweet little lamb and he, and he got to hold it and play with it and listen to it go, bah, bah. And for four days. Then on the fourth day, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So they take this poor little lamb that they've had in their house and they've examined it and held it and looked at it. And some, I'm sure, became attached to them. And they take it and they slit its throat, take the blood, and at that same night they are take some of the blood and put it on the door frames of the house where they eat the lamb. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over a fire with bitter herbs and bread without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boil in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. All of it. You must cook all of it. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left over in the morning, you must burn it. And this is how you're to eat it. Okay. So they take this lamb. They bring it into their house. They examine it. They look at it. And they love it. And then they slit its throat. And then they must roast it and eat it all. Must consume it all. And what is not consumed is consumed by fire. And when they slit its throat, they must take the blood and they must spread it over the door, the lentils, with hyssop. You know the story. You've heard it for years. But you've never thought about it. Did you ever think about, why do you have to put the blood over the door? Do you think the angel wasn't smart enough to know this was a person of Israel inside this house? That they just roasted this and ate this poor little lamb and consumed and ate its flesh. 
but they still had to continue following the law and put it over the doorpost so it would be recognized. They had to do all these things to complete it. Let's go ahead a few thousand years. And you'll find this, and I'm, I'm not going to read any of this, but it's in John 19. If you look at John 19, Jesus came into Israel on the 10th day, preparing for the Passover. He came so the people and the high priests could judge him and look at him. So they could understand him. And some come to love him and some come to hate him. But to find he was without blemish. And I think if, if I think it is John, if you if you no, it's it's Luke. If you read Luke, the time that Jesus comes into the triumphal entrance till the time of the crucifixion, you'll see who do you say you are? Are you really the Son of God? How would the man be given in marriage? I mean, they're trying to trap him. They're examining him. They're testing him. They're seeing. And he comes out perfect, without blemish. And I dare say none of you have ever thought of this. That they take Jesus and they hang him on a cross on the 14th day. Just as they took the lamb and when Jesus was being hung on the cross at twilight before sundown, and they stick a spear in his side and he's bleeding and he dies, at the same time in all the Jewish houses, they had their lamb and they slit its throat. At the same time, I never thought of that. The Jewish nation, when Christ is out on the cross dying for the sins of the world, they're going through the symbolic movement of taking the Lamb's life when the Lamb was really on the cross, cutting the Lamb's throat so it bleeds and taking his blood and putting it over their lentils as symbolic. When Christ takes his blood in reality and sheds it for the world because he came to save, find and save the lost and it was finished. I never thought of that. I never put those two things together. That the whole Jewish nation was standing in their homes taking the sacrifice when the sacrifice really was out on Golgotha. Let's take one step back and let's look into uh, the day of preparation is when Jesus was slain. But let's go back to the Last Supper. And I've heard this taught, and I have, I have looked and looked, and this is one of those things where you, you go into the, uh, you go into the, uh, read all the versions of the Bible, and it's in, in Mark 14, 23. And this is, this is the Passover. This is when Jesus is giving them instructions about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's talking about the Passover lamb. The lamb that had to be consumed totally. Totally consumed. Then they took a cup, and when, it was given th when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. 
That's, that's all I want to say. It says they all drank from it. You read every version, it says they all drank from it. I disagree with that. And it really doesn't matter if you agree with me or not, but I'm going to tell you what I, what I see. Because in Young's literal translation, let me read it to you. I don't see this translated anywhere else like this. And, and I take it totally different. And having taken the cup, this is Young's literal translation. And having taken the cup, having given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank it. Awful. It's been translated that all the people drank it. I read that as they took the cup and they took and drank it all. They consumed totally what the Lord had prepared for them. It's totally different. I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't know an adjective from an adverb, but I read that totally different. See, I see Jesus saying, this is my body, you must eat it, and this is my blood. You must take it all in. The lamb, when it was slain, and the sacrifice during Passover, you had to eat it all. See, the problem with us in our, in our lives and our eating from the tree of good and evil, of the tree of knowledge, we get to a point where we go, well, if I've done enough, I'm, I've covered my bases, I've done all I have to do. But see, Jesus says you have to do it all. It's not just being a, a good man. It's eating his blood and or drinking his blood and eating his flesh, as he says. But man has come up with the idea of I can rationally think of what I want to do. And he says, I can do 90% and still make it. You're in error. The rich man came to Jesus and said, I have followed all the laws. And he says, that is good. He says, but there's one thing. Give all your money to the poor and come and follow me. And he wouldn't do it. One thing. See, we, we try to justify our lives. And if you want to have a good relationship with the Father, you've got to do it all. And doing it all is accepting his grace. See, it's not in your doing, it's in what he has done. And doing it all means I accept all that you have done for me. It's not saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to be a a good Pentecostal, a good Baptist, a good non-denominational person. You know, I'm, I'm going to get my theological placard and or be called a bishop. It has nothing to do with it. It's do you accept all that he has done for you. See, some of the Jewish people, I'm sure, ate the lamb but didn't put the blood over the post and lost the firstborn. But, but... I, I ate the lamb. What did you do with the blood? There's many churches saying, well, you can do this much and you'll be okay. No. Let's go back to the bitterness and anger in our lives. Are we carrying things from the fruit that we have consumed or been that has been presented to us, let's put it that way, and stuck with it? How do you get rid of it? You go back. 
and you say, I accept all of your grace. I accept everything you've done. There's nothing I can do. Because the righteous man says, I can, I can do all these things, and I can make man right, and the world will change. Jesus says, no, I will make you right, and the world will change. So you don't need to carry those bitter tastes in your mouth, whatever it is, whatever fruit of the Spirit. And don't go judging other people's fruit, one way or the other. Don't look at other people and ask, well, see what he did? I haven't done that. That's, that's a scary place to be. And don't look at somebody and say, I wish I was as good as them, because that's even scarier. Because you don't know where that person's been. What you want to do is you want to make your life. You want to taste the good fruit. You want to know the good life. You accept what Christ did for you. You accept grace. Because you can't do anything to change it. So you have already died. You have you are, you are dead to all this. And you are alive in Christ. So what I challenge you to do is take the lamb and examine him again. I know every time I, I, I do give whatever you want to call this, a message or teaching or whatever, I find new things. And it amazes me. And I know when I, when I truly look into God and get an understanding of who God is and, and, and who he is, it's going to be like in Revelation when they look at him and they go, holy, holy, holy. They are seeing new facets of the Father and the Son all the time. It is not a repeat. They don't do reruns in heaven. Everything is new and fresh and exciting. And if I want to live that way, if I want to live that life, I will seem like an oddity to this world. I will seem strange to this world. But that's okay. Because I'm in the world and I'm not of it. This is not my place. And I can find joy in my Father. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter what goes around me. It doesn't matter what people say to me. It matters what he says to me. And when I examine the lamb, and I examine him and I accept his sacrifice on the cross, I am free of bitterness. I am free of anger. I'm free of all those things I have listed, and I get the peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, so this week before Christmas, why don't you take a few days and examine the lamb all over again. I know the lamb will show you more of him than you've ever seen before. Selah. Yea, God. Thank you.